Welcome to the latest episode of the Attic Sessions. Um, and today we've actually gone on the road again, delighted to be in the beautiful surroundings of the River Mill, which is a writer's and reader's retreat in the heart of County Down in Northern Ireland. And we are doubly delighted to be joined by the star of the County Down, the poet and playwright Damien Smith. Damien, you're very welcome. Thanks. Thank trying to organise to get you on our attic for a long time. So it's great that we've been able to come to your neck of the woods uh, to, to, to meet you here. Um, and you, you were born in Downpatrick, was it? So that's like just a few miles down the road. I was, yeah, I was born in Downpatrick and reared in yeah. Downpatrick and practically everything I've thought about and certainly written about has been about the environs of of Downpatrick. So did you know this place? Did you know the river mill or were you aware of...? No, of I, didn't, I didn't know the river mill yeah. uh, or its, its, its previous incarnation as a, as a, a ruin, I think, yeah. largely, uh, you know, for most of its, of its history. And a, and a flour mill yeah. in the 1700s. Yeah, and now it's been restored beautifully yeah. in this way. And I didn't realise until I came here that it's actually what you would call a, a clachan, which is a, a, a dwelling that would have crossed uh, over a road, oh, okay. so these would have been one cluster of buildings. And would there, would there have been a kind of a wooden walkway across, or well, there uh, there would have been a kind of a, uh, you know a little causeway yeah. there, yeah. you know that would have been a cassie, as, yeah. as they call it, you know, which might have been uh, in use. So I didn't realise that. So yeah. the, uh, but this is the deep heart of County Down. I mean, certainly in this uh, area, which is known as Lakeel. Um, which is an ancient barony yeah. and uh, was the territory of the McGuinnesses in the old days and uh, is almost an island. Um, in fact, I think if just there's about a few feet of soggy ground and that if it were flooded at any stage, we'd actually be an island. Wow. And it's the whole side, basically, that's just on this side of Strangford Law. Yeah, because the sea is about three miles in that direction. Yeah, and, yeah. and of course, it's also St. Patrick's yeah. uh, territory, you know, because St. Patrick is buried in Downpatrick, which is our great claim to fame. So as, as, a, as a young Damien, were you sort of running all over this territory or, or were you a townie or...? No, you know? I, was, I was everywhere around here really, on, on uh, walking and, and on bicycle. Um, and I think, uh, actually, as it was said at one stage uh, in Downpatrick, and I think this is true for most of Ireland, the invention of the bicycle was the great erotic uh, you know, uh, uh, revelation for most of the population because up until then, really, your hinterland would have been, you know, governed by what, by how far you could travel on foot. Okay. Whereas the bicycle meant that you could actually perhaps meet people ah. from whole other places instead of the danger of interbreeding. It wasn't that people were all marrying their cousins, but it was. It would probably have got to that stage very quickly. I thought you meant the Flann O'Brien man and bicycle, you know, transmuting well, um, atoms and things. Yeah, yeah, but I think that the, that the centrality of uh, the bicycle in Flann O'Brien, I think, is, uh, you, know, uh, you know, as a result yeah. of how central the bicycle was yeah. to being able to 
uh, you know, free people yeah. um, at a time when other than that you would have had to be in, uh, either on foot or on horseback yeah. and yeah. that wouldn't have been, uh, you know, a possibility for most people. So you so were biking all over I was biking, yes, but not with erotic intent, but more with, um, uh, I think, just to get out into the country, yeah. out into the fields yeah. and to get to that uh, moment that you find around here yeah. now, and I'm yeah. sure you've experienced it, which is suddenly, you know, just stops and it's, it's utter silence, yeah. except for the grasshoppers or the birds yeah. or the odd the odd beast. Yeah. And I think that moment then that you can actually hear the sunlight, yeah. if you like, you know, and yeah. you can hear it on the ground. Those are priceless moments and I think any child would be delighted to be brought up in an area like that. But you weren't thinking poems at that stage. I mean at what at what point did you become aware of poetry as either something that you'd read but maybe something you might write? Well, I mean poems the first poem I can remember hearing at all was The Old Woman of the Roads. Oh, yeah. Which uh, was Padre Collin. Yeah, yeah. And that hugely evocative poem, of course, the, um, the what is it, the blue and green and speckled store of the, the crockery in the little house that this old woman who has no home um, is yearning for mm -hmm. as she travels the roads. And that was hugely evocative, as it would be for anybody that reads that poem. I mean, I think it's one of the great yeah. Irish poems, really. And that was in, in school? No, that was at home. That, that was, was at home? That was my mother, my mother, who's still, who's still with us, thankfully, yeah. um, uh, read that to me when oh, I was very young. Okay. And I got it, yeah. just as I think she got it, that yeah. particular yearning for your own place. Yeah. And I think the, the other little connection in that was that when I was very young, um, going out round these roads with my father. This was an area where um, we had uh, travellers um, of the old yeah. type in the caravans and also in Making the... Making tin uh, and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, the, in the ditches. Yeah. And sleeping in the... Which I... I, it, I mean, this is a thing that recurs, actually, in, in you know, what I write. Is this image of these, these people in, at the side of the road, in little roads like you'll find out in the country. Um, with a tarpaulin strung between the hedge and the the road, mm. the, the you know the road said the laneway, and they're in the ditch with a little fire. And I remember as a as a small boy being brought along one of the roads here with and, and you know coming across these old dames in the in the in the Shawleys. Yeah, yeah. Um, sitting there with a few kids running around. Yeah, and my father saluting them as we went past. And my father always said, you know, that there wasn't that, that there wasn't a great, you know, distance between people who were so-called settled yeah. and people who were unsettled yeah. in that way, people who were travellers. Yeah. But that was the old, the old um, population, if you like, of that. I mean, I'm talking as if um, I was brought up in 1850. Indeed. But actually this was, yeah. this was the 1960s. Yeah. Yeah. So these were people who came around and were very familiar figures. Yeah. Yeah. And they weren't local, but they were populations that they would return periodically, yeah. maybe once a year, once every couple of years. Yeah. So they were known to local people. So the old woman of the roads poem then took on a very vivid presence for me. Yeah. I mean, I think in that context, as, as it would for anyone who'd come into contact with that, yeah. Those, that kind of representative of, an old, you know, of a much older and different culture, yeah. which is what travellers travellers are, mm -hmm. thankfully. So did school try and obliterate that Im interest in poetry? Because we talked to Iggy McGovern a few episodes ago, and he was sort of saying that, like, you know, 
the arts writing was not considered in, 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 in his sort of schooling. So it was afterwards mm -hmm. he found his way towards it. Like, where was your first intersection with it as a kind of a, a practiced art now, I suppose? Well, I think it was, I mean, really, it, you know, those first intimations were, were in the home. Yeah. Now, it, I mean, you know, it wasn't a bookish home. Yeah. Um, but there was, there was the old woman of the roads as a, as a narrative piece. Yeah. Also things then that I would come across myself uh, yeah. as a young boy, um, such as, you know, um, um, the host of the air, the Yeats, okay. um, and uh, the ballad of Father Gilligan, which is other Yeats. I mean, these were, these were all country type yeah. poems and old type poems. So I don't know, I mean, I, I was entranced by those, I have to say. But were you beginning of. to write? Not really, no, yeah. but I was, I was, I, I mean, there was a kind of a, you know, there was a consonance between what I was interested in hearing, yeah. the stories I wanted to hear, yeah. and the environment that yeah. I, I found myself in. Yeah. Another one, oddly, was um, Flannan Isle by W. W. Gibson, which was a, you know, a ballad about um, a haunted or, a, a, you know, a mysterious abandoned lighthouse off the coast of Scotland. And uh, this is a tremendously evocative ballad, mm. you know, because mm. they, they were just, when they broke in the, you know, when they arrived to the, the lighthouse, they found it um, abandoned. They were expecting to find three lighthouse keepers, but in fact, there's just a half-eaten meal on the table, the chair knocked over. Oh, and, and nobody. Nobody at all there. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, Gibson's a master of this kind of, you know, kind of gothic narrative. Yeah. Well, that was hugely, because we have our lighthouse, uh, in Lakeel, yeah. which is just a few miles away as well. Yeah. So, and the rocks and the birds and yeah. the seals. Yeah. And these were, um, these were very. So all those stories were very close. Yeah. As kind of mythic presences. Yeah. I think even for, well, for somebody like me running around. Yeah. Uh, the countryside, it was yeah. very easy yeah. to imagine that these were actual, actual yeah. things. You know? So you were finding. You were recognising the subject matter, I suppose, in ways from, from where your own surroundings. Yeah. And, and what is making me wonder, because I studied English literature, but never had a sense that, you know, writers were people like me, because they were all mm. long dead and mostly male. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a point when I said, no, I'm going to start writing. And what I want to write about is an, uh, as important because I want to write about it. So I'm just curious from your kind of trajectory, what was the point that you started to mark your own territory on your own page? Well, there were things, I think I started to write that type of, or, you know, poem or stories first. Yeah, actually, stories first. Know, stories, yeah. yeah. But it was all trying to, all of, you know, everything that I was doing maybe when I was in primary school. Yeah. Um, you know, we would be encouraged to write stories. There would be, you know, that would be part of the, the exercises, yeah. was that you would write stories and make it up and you'd copy things that you'd seen in the movies or whatever, you know, yeah. and you'd just write the story out and pretend it was yours. I think I've been doing that ever since. But, you, you, you know, you try to find a, a, a mom that moment, try to reproduce that moment of the uncanny, yeah. if you like, yeah. which I think is, is peculiar to poetry, yeah. where there's a, a moment in a line, you know, a line or a thought which is just so explosive emotionally yeah. that you never forget it. Yeah. And I think I, w I was, even at that stage, I mean, I think I was trying to reproduce those moments of the odd 
or the peculiar yeah. or the you know the uncanny which has an uh, also has a uh, you know kind of a transcendental feel to it you know or a transformative feel something that changes mm. changes you mm. and i think i was searching for that yeah and i still am and i think all the time i'm looking for that all the time yeah and that is what keeps that's what keeps you going you going really. that search and then you would look at other types of uh you know you i i i mean i think once you're open to that kind of yeah. uh work then you you are open to it yeah. you meet it you find it in other places you know and yeah. uh, in primary school certainly it was you know you weren't encouraged oh you must sit down and write poems or anything like that but you were i mean that kind of expression wasn't discouraged yeah um but but did i think that i would be i would ever be a writer like that no did i think did i ever read anything that had anywhere i knew in it yeah novels or not no i no. remember we did kidnapped and we did all the, all, all the great Scottish novels yeah. and novels from the rest of Ireland and and you were looking for something that would but today no I never yeah um, and when you got went to Queens then because yeah. you studied philosophy in Queens oh, you're, yeah, you're yeah, a doctor yeah. of philosophy yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in in Queens and two decades maybe after the uh -huh. the the group the yeah. famous group the Heaney and Longley yeah, and yeah, yeah. Joan Newman and and, yeah. and people like that so at that point, were you sort of conscious of, well, there's a tradition here that I am going to be part of and join, or...? No, not really, you know. I mean, I, I'd started writing... I'd, the first thing I had published was in the Irish Press. And it was, a, 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 you know, David Marcus's yes, page in the Irish Press, which people, yeah, people yeah. would be familiar with. New Irish writing, yeah. You know, a daily newspaper, tremendous exposure. There was a, a Wednesday page at the time that I, I became familiar with it. There was the Saturday page, which was the main page. Yeah. But there was a Wednesday page as well, which had a little slot for young Irish writing. And I got a poem in that. How old were was, you? Uh, maybe 15. Wow, okay. And it was, uh, I mean, I was astonished. I was also very embarrassed, <laughs> I have to say, at school, because I didn't actually think that if it got, I didn't connect something being published. And the Irish people. press was read up here, so she Oh yes, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes yeah. it was. It was very, um, you know, it was one of the, the, the popular papers among yeah. nationalist yeah. communities, if you want to call it that, yeah. you know, certainly more than other than other, other newspapers would have been. Mm -hmm. um, so you were outed, basically. I was outed, yeah. And I fought that for quite a while. <laughs> but then I was also sending poems then to the, 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 the senior page on the Saturday and on one occasion then David Marcus published um, a poem of mine and I think the first one that appeared probably 78 or something like that I would have been maybe 16 well, 17 yeah. something like that but I was on the page with Edna O'Brien Edna O'Brien had a short story oh crikey and I was the po I, I was a poet on the page well I was I was astonished I mean I knew Edna O'Brien's novels yeah. at that point because it come across them yeah. the way you do even though they were you know even then in the late 70s for young boys they were regarded as being quite racy but um to be on that was yeah. no brand. affirmation well i thought this is incredible and that was one of the things one of the many things that david marcus did yeah it wasn't just the publication but it was actually giving a validation yeah to new emerging writers sure their voice was valid. Yeah. I thought yeah. that was a marvellous thing. And even at that stage, I was overcome by it. Yeah. But, and then going to Queen's, so I went to Queen's as a writer and I was, I was publishing pieces in the, in the Irish press at that stage. Yeah. 
very frequently. Yeah. Though by then they were embarrassingly cribs of Seamus Heaney, I have to say. I mean, some embarrassingly bad cribs. But it must have been such a huge, huge shadow that he was exerting over everybody who was writing at the well, time. Well, I, I, to, to go back to that original yeah. question that you asked in yeah. that context, when I got to Queen's though, Nassau, I mean, I think those were different times, you know. I mean, 1980, um, the group as such, yeah. we knew vaguely about as undergrads. Yeah. But even most of the people who were attending the group at that time would have been older, older writers yeah. in the 60s. Yeah. But like to somebody who was 18 in yeah. 1980, no the 1960s was, yeah. like, you know, it was like the Crimean War. Yeah. Uh, it was a long time ago. What there was in Belfast at that time was Michael Longley at the Arts Council, uh, Paul Muldoon at the BBC, Kieran Carson was at the Arts Council, John Hewitt yeah. had been writer-in-residence at Queen's, uh, Maeve McGookian was teaching, yeah. Frank Ormsby was teaching as well and editing The Honest Ulsterman. So there was a, a, a gathering of well-known successful poets in Belfast um, at the time that I came to Queen's. And there, was the, there would be readings maybe once a month invited readers yeah. into the university and they would all have gathered for that and maybe once or twice a year there would have been student readings yeah. so you were able to read your work to what even at that stage were uh, a gathering of maybe half a dozen of the best poets writing anywhere. Um, Derek Mahan wasn't there, Seamus Heaney wasn't there yeah. um, but nonetheless there was yeah. still a very vibrant but the idea of the university as a an incubator for writers wasn't really as much, yeah. if at all, a yeah. feature of what you were meant to do at a university yeah. as it became. Because they much weren't later. they weren't teaching creative writing. No, in they those, weren't at all. No. In those years at all. No, I had yeah. written. I had written when I was at school to James Simmons, who was also there. I mean, I should have mentioned James Simmons yeah. was a very uh, body racy and therefore extremely interesting and attractive figure Absolutely. to uh, to young emerging writers. Yeah. Um, he was at the University of Korea and I had yeah. written to him and sent him some poems and he'd, see, he'd, he'd written Because he back. was involved with the Honest Ulsterman, wasn't oh, he? Oh, he was, yeah. yeah he, he had founded yeah. the Honest Ulsterman. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, at this stage, I think he, the, the editorship had moved on. Yeah. But he was very, uh, you know, he was gracious yeah. and uh, to, to a younger writer. And... Um, John Hewitt was at Queen's and I wrote to him as well uh, and sent him poems, oh, desperately embarrassing things and he wrote back and so there was a sense that you, that you were able to make contact yeah. with a world which did involve print and books yeah. and that what you might be saying or writing might have a validity yeah. in that context. You yeah. know? Having said that, um, I, I got to know John Hewitt quite well the last few years of his life, which was a really a pivotal uh, moment for me, really. Even though he was much older, I mean, he was 70, 76. When but I pivotal in terms of content of what you wanted to write about? Yeah. Or yeah. Well, Hewitt, Hewitt's, one of his great ideas, I think important ideas, was the idea of, uh, you know, what he called a region. Yeah. And uh, though even he knew, he, he had thought that the idea of a region might be a way of uh, praising open some of the conscious, some of the the truculence yeah. of Northern Unionist yeah. attitudes to yeah. Ireland and you know to other things as yeah. old. Um, but then he 
beyond the realise maybe there wasn't just one region here, maybe there were two, there might even have been more. Yeah. But I think what he was also doing was writing about people yeah. and places yeah. that were, you know, that he knew and that were local. Yeah. And I liked that. Yeah. I thought that was powerful, not just because they were local, yeah. but because there was actually uh, a, a deep imaginative you know, they, they, they constituted a deep imaginative resource which had an energy of their own yeah. that you could, you know, hopefully tap. Yeah, because this is, there's a quote now that I extracted in my research, uh, an interview that you did with the Culture Northern Ireland blog, and you say, Dan Patrick is what I want to write about. I have no, absolutely no interest in anything else except where it touches on that, a lot does touch on that. Mm-hmm. So that your, your local is the place that you were born, the place you grew up, but that is a prism for a much larger universal kind mm. of thing. Mm. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, I think that's true. I think that's true of anywhere. Yeah. If it's approached properly, yeah. if it's approached with empathy and with a sense of not, uh, you know, of not being dictated to by it, which I think is the other thing. Yeah. So um, I was able, I, I mean, you know, I, I, I mean, Queen's wasn't, and edu- the, edu- the, the formal education thing wasn't a particularly productive time for my own creativity. Yeah. And I mean, I, I arrived at Queen's, as I said, as a writer. I left it not Unsure. as a writer. Yeah. And I didn't publish. I mean, I was 38, 39. Yeah, before when your first, first book was. My, you know, my first yeah. book. So it was a long period of uh, disquiet, I think yeah. you would describe it as, yeah. after that. But the hu- but. And when I did come to write the poems that I now am comfortable writing, yeah. uh, they were about everywhere around here. Yeah. And they came very quickly. Yeah. And I was able in my first book, Dan Patrick Races, to include poems that I'd had published when I was 17. Right. And the voice yeah. between those two, between being 17 and 37, if you like, yeah. was more or less the same. And in between was dissonance and confusion and yeah. all sorts of things. So the Hewitt confidence in that being able to write about uh, your own place and have the confidence that there would be things there that would be intelligible to others. Yeah. But also the thought that even if they weren't intelligent, intelligible to others, it didn't matter. Because yeah. I wanted to say those things yeah. that I had to say yeah. about the place that I was yeah. part of and it was part of me, yeah. and it didn't matter really. And I think that liberation yeah. of not being tied to an audience, yeah. funnily enough, yeah. or expectations of others, I think was a great freedom yeah. in when it came to write. And you sustained that over, what, seven volumes? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Have you been quite consciously thematic in terms of the different books, or has it, you know, how have you kind of ordered that I suppose. I, ju- I just, w- what will happen is I will, th- there will be, there have been formal alter, you know, yeah. changes yeah. Uh, over the period. The, the Down Patrick Races book, which has, we also have a tremendous racing culture, horse racing culture around here locally and, and you know, which also involves bookies and all those tremendous people that we still have. You know, but and jockeys and yeah. uh, uh, you know horse breeding and training, so that was a was part of the you know the kind of ambiguity of the of the Dempatic races thing, but also that um, those are more or less traditional lyric 
poems I would have thought. Yeah. You know, there, there are some um, more ambitious things within it, but really that's what it is. Then after that, I looked at our local newspaper, which is the Down Recorder, which has been in continuous publication since 1836. Gosh, that must be one of the longest lasting yeah, in the country. Yeah, it, it, it's very... In the British Isles, maybe? Well, it would be. I mean, there, there, there's a great history of uh, local newspaper publishing in Ireland. And, you know, it would go back uh, a century and a half, maybe more, you know. But what you get then is, because it's a small town and it hasn't really changed much over that period, but there were stories then mm. which involved people who whose stories ordinarily then wouldn't make it into the history books. So you get the people who drowned in impossible situations, people who grew extraordinarily large apples and turnips, <laughs> and then it, 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 those stories appear in the local yeah. pages. Other people who, uh, like for instance, you know, someone who was a champion pedestrian, which I always thought was a tremendous, uh, you know, feat. Accomplishment, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So was able to walk, say, you know, a thousand miles in wow. two days. Wow. But only by going backwards and forwards over a mile, repeatedly over that period of that time. That sounds familiar for the people who have to do ten thousand steps a day. Yes. Okay. Well, this is the this is the remarkable thing. And then, unlike the people who have to do ten thousand steps a day, this person was carried shoulder high through the streets, and ah. <laughs> <laughs> and salute to to their achievement. Those things. In, the, in those papers then began to mark out ordinary lives, yeah. lives that wouldn't or, you know, otherwise be regarded as, yeah. um, you know, of note yeah. in the history sense. But I think in, in another way are very much the, 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 the staple mm. of uh, poems. It's mm. the, the annals of the poor, if mm. you like, without, you know, without being too po-faced about it. And I think that's something that has always uh, interested me mm -hmm. as well. I think particularly in a town here where you had an asylum, uh, a jail, and a workhouse. Mm, mm. And uh, because of the character of it as a county town, those are three ominous institutions in any location. Yeah. And I think that, again, you have uh, a kind of, uh, you, you know, as a kind of, the, all the population becomes kind of a refugee status, mm, if you mm, like. Mm, mm. That, and the fragility of, uh, you know, what might separate you from, um, um, destitution, mm. um, I think, was always very much to the fore. So those are the tales, I yeah. think, that would have interested me. But contemporary history or near recent contemporary history mm -hmm. is also there. And certainly, like, you know, reading through English Street, mm -hmm. that sort of shadow of, of the Troubles mm -hmm. is never very far. And you're talking mm -hmm. about somebody from school and something mm -hmm. happens to them later. And mm -hmm. you have a memory of a particular time mm -hmm. when we're all mm -hmm. innocent of what's going to happen later and that sort of thing. Well, so this brings us back, I mean, in, you, know, when, when I came, you know, when I came to Queen's University as a student uh, from school, from Dan Patrick, um, a year ahead of me in my school was Damien Gorman, who's a poet, playwright, yeah. filmmaker. Um, a year behind me was John Hughes, who was, who, you know, published several volumes with Gallery Press, mm. um, the devil himself. Uh, and I mean, I think that what you're looking at there is there was a, you know a kind of a a, a a culture I feel like or you know a, you know a kind of a heritage already forming as to how we would why that's the case I don't know yeah. but certainly there was a narrative going on about um, how you might confront the world that we were growing into yeah. which was very dark yeah. very violent very risky yeah. and a very good friend of um, 
mine and John Hughes. Uh, Eamon Quinn was murdered yeah. in 1982. Yeah. Um, and that was only 20. Yeah. That took away a life. Yeah. Um, and that figure of Eamon, Eamon has increasingly, as the years have gone by, has become a kind of a companion. Yeah. And I've begun to write more about him and the cir those circumstances and how things happen in that way. Yeah. And certainly that had a big impact. So like the, in a, in a way, in the same way as the sort of the local becomes the universal, the mm. individual victim becomes the universal mm. victim. Yeah, and, and I think that has to be, that the voice of the, oh, you know, the voice of the voiceless, if you like, in that wholly inadequate, silly expression. Yeah. But really, it's over 30 years now of a life that wasn't lived. Yeah. And I, I, I find that on, on occasion, as people will, yeah. in any circumstance where there's been a life cut short, yeah. people will find it appalling. Yeah. And I, I, still, I still find that. Yeah. And I hope in some way there's a, that conversation that's going on still, certainly in my mind, between myself and Eamon Quinn, yeah. um, is some kind of excuse as yeah. well as to why, as to what I've done. So was he the guy who called you Bones? Yeah, yeah. Why? Why were you That bones? was my nickname. Did you look like DeForest Kelly in Star Trek? No, or? I was very skinny. And, oh, were you? Uh, yes, and uh, I know that's hard to imagine now, <laughs> but I was a very skinny uh, young man. Uh, bones gets mentioned yes, in the poem. Yes, yes, when I was at school, and uh, that was my nickname, so he, he, he called that out <laughs> uh, on, a on a couple of occasions. You know? yeah. And there are still people around who would still call me Bones when they meet me from school, you know, but that's not uncommon, I think. Um, what, do, what does the general Downpatrick population think of this body of work about them? Oh, I have no idea. I do know that the Arkle Bar and Lounge um, which is uh, one of our more, uh, you know, one of our older hostelries. And was the, the horse didn't have a direct, I know you gave out to me once because I didn't know that there was a GAA team in down, and I do know now yeah, that there know. is. But I didn't know, did Arkle have a connection with County Down? No, apart from the fact that Arkle was backed by practically oh, everybody okay. in Ireland. Fair and enough. I yeah. think that there are quite a few, uh, uh, you know, uh, automobiles, fridges, um, cookers, television sets back of and houses <laughs> may very well have been bought on the back of Arkle. So let's not knock Arkle. Absolutely And the never. fact that he was, that there's a bar in the town still named after him, I think is a, yeah. is a great tribute to the mighty, the mighty, uh, you know, that mighty individual. So do they have reading groups of your work in there, do you think, or is there any kind of... I would think that's highly unlikely. But there is, as far as I know, there's a... a there's a copy of a poem on the wall. Oh, very good. Yeah, so mm -hmm. I think that's, that's quite, uh, I mean, that'll do me as an afterlife, I think. Um, I, now as for, I mean, you know, come on. I mean, it's poetry and this is a working town <laughs> and people get on with their lives yeah. and the poet business is done by the poet people yeah. and that's, that's us and those, those few who, who pay attention to that, you know, yeah. and I think they coexist quite nicely yeah. in that way. Could you Talk to me a little just about the shape of the poems mm. in Engli English Street in particular, but you also, I think, did it in Market Street mm. a bit. That you don't break down into stanzas at all. There's just one mm. long line, mm. long, maybe 60, 70 lines in a poem, mm. maybe, or whatever. So, so 
quite uniform. And I, I did read again, I think in that same interview that, that you were saying you wanted to get away from the, the little boxes of, mm -hmm. of text. So, mm -hmm. so that's been a deliberate part of your, yeah. your process as well. Yeah, well, I think um, they're not quite 60. Uh, Market Street uh, are 20 lines and the poems in English Street are 20, 25 and 30. Oh, okay. So, and those, you know, that's the lines, they're not broken. Yeah. They're just one uh, unbroken block yeah. of uh, verse. But it's not prose poetry. No. 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 I, well, I would hope it isn't. Yeah, you know, no, it's you, not. You, no. You, you know, you can only hope. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that there is a, uh, it's governed by cadence. It's governed by rhythm. Um, it's also governed by syntax. Yeah. So I think I try to include in a line of poetry, which may extend over several physical lines on the page, uh, the kind of complexity that you might find in a thought process. Yeah. So that there will be um, interruptions in a train of thought. Yeah and there will be digressions, yeah. and there will be hopefully some conclusions. Yeah. But um, the idea is, is really to get away from that, that tyranny of the lyric, yeah. which yeah. is that this is going to make you feel good, yeah. which is what the lyric tells you yeah. in lots of ways. Or feel something anyway. Well, usually it's feel good. Yeah. I mean, I think, and even when, uh, the allergy will try to make you feel something else. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that you know there is a, a sense of poetry that it lo you know poetry is uh, about bringing good news. Yeah. And that isn't really my forte. Are <laughs> you working things out through yeah, the poem? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're arriving at gathering certain impressions around a, a you know a single theme or thought. Yeah. And then questioning that within it. Yeah. And you do question the way we do. Yeah. Uh, rather than offering conclusions or any, you know, definitive yeah. answers to anything, yeah. you're basically just trying to, you know, you know, to discourse yeah. around that. And I like the idea of exchange and commerce of ideas within yeah. a single, uh, you know, piece of poetry. Yeah. And the idea is that it won't. It'll also be a read. Yeah. I like the idea oh, yeah. of a book as a good read. Yeah, absolutely. So that you do have that sense that you're actually going to be able yeah. to engage yourself yeah. over a period of time with what you're involving, yeah. and whether that's a poem individually or um, a whole book. Yeah. Well, it might be a good time to maybe hear a couple. Okay. Okay. Right. Um, I'll probably try that poem. With Damon Quinn? Yeah. Now, bear with me on this one because... Uh, One of the one of the other features of this book, English Street, is that I associate a particular poem with um, a townland, uh, you know, a, a small region of the the area that I live in, and this is um, this is called the Taconit Cogito, uh, uh, yes, um, which is just referencing that. Um, well-known phrase of Descartes, cogito ergo sum. Um, 
It doesn't do to believe everything you're told or to keep believing what you once knew was true. Unless, as Descartes said, it is so distinct and clear, the recollection, that is, of having been so sure. You don't need to check. It's all in front of you. Take Eamon Quinn, my mate, no longer here. A lifetime ago, when Celtic played Dundalk, with the scarf I'd bought him, longer than himself, curled round inside the furry hood of his parka, caught up as thousands surged on the terraces, pulled out from me, waving, lost, but still in view. And then his voice, high-pitched in the push and heave, calling my nickname, Bones! Bones! In that odd timbre, I misunderstood. He was scared. He was quickly gone. They say that loss is a thing itself, thick like stone, or light as a call the body makes without reply. It was only when the last of him disappeared, I punched through to where he was swallowed whole, reached waist high where he'd stumbled and sat down and pulled him back up by a handful of fur, hood torn. Years after, when it was thought that he'd been stabbed, so radical were his exit wounds, so intimate the damage in his own hallway where they had found and shot him. The pattern of absence was already known, but not its weight, endurance, depth, or how much of it there was. Super. Just another one that's in that time period, a little bit earlier, is um, we had a, a chip shop in Dentatric, uh, as you might have in every town, everywhere, um, called the Portofino, which I didn't know until much later was a, a, an, you know, was an actual place elsewhere. So I made, for a while, I made the chipped potatoes for the, the portofino out the back in a shed in appalling hygienic conditions or unhygienic conditions. Um, so this is a, a small boy's story. The portofino conclave. I was in an outhouse at the back of the portofino making chips for the deep fryer, skinning potatoes in a washing machine on fast spin. Then the bald heads clamped through a grill to the long cartridges of light. But everywhere else it was the age of Victoria. A mouldered cottage off Irish Street someone was living in when the Boer War broke out. The raw levies even now in the cafe itself in brown leather jackets. Moustaches tattoos, 
out-of-work teenagers, but hairy and grown-up, fingers cradling cigarettes with the burny bit inside, not moving their outstretched legs when I entered, skinny and ashamed, dragging a bucket behind me. This is the 70s. Some of these were cavalry from the horse barracks, empty for a century even then. Some were Norsemen, longboats, decanted at Strangford, withdrawn and monkish or high on action. And some were provisionals. Though which was which was uncertain, which accounted for the giddiness, the masculine silences, those transformations, as I made away, small and afraid, then and now, still estranged, bringing the ordinary in. Great, great. One more, just for the joy of hearing you read them. Um, okay, well, I'll read this. This is a poem that has English Street in it. Uh, our school didn't have a swimming pool, but the other school in Downpatrick did. I was reared as a Catholic uh, and a nationalist in Downpatrick, and the other school uh, was a state school to which mostly... Um, those who weren't Catholic, those who were uh, uh, Protestant would have attended. They had a different coloured uniform. Theirs was green, ours was red. And, but we shared, they did have a swimming pool and we shared uh, use of their swimming pool, uh, which was wonderful. Um, the other thing was that they also had things called girls, ah. which... Um, our school didn't have, which I think was a very serious uh, oversight on the part of my education. <laughs> so, swimming up English Street. All I did was go for a swim up English Street, swallowing miles of water that only looked as blue as the Mediterranean. But that was the cerulean tiles. Only looked to have lanes shimmering on the surface, runways walled by stone to keep order. But in fact, those were markings on the inside, on that ceiling the pool floor was, to which I aspired as a collector of weights and rings, medals, lungfuls of worn air. A culvert bomb a mile off on the Ballydugan Road would send the chlorine lapping the pool walls. Something like the wine in the Europa Hotel, thrown out when a report shattered the linings of Balthazar and Nebuchadnezzar, rainbow drizzle of powdered glass tincturing the vintages. Another element, like a holy well, full of miracles. Once a year, pool water shared with the Protestant school, whole lovely selves articulate, refracted, unbroken by surfaces. 
as if we had come there to be healed and were undamaged, each armful or embrace pulling the known world to ourselves. There were vials of strill water for sale in the town hall, but nothing, trust me, as electric as their bodies bathed in. New wine in new wineskins, nose-fluting mouth-breathers, exotics from the other nations, Nubians, Shebans, sea nymphs, water sprites, naiads, those necessary others, from those isles to which, though barely afloat, I've not ceased to stretch my arms, those still possible intervals, laps, widths, strokes, lengths. Wonderful. And you mentioned Struel there, and Paul Madden was telling us the other night that there were two holy wells in Struel segregated. There was a men's holy wells and a female's holy well. Yeah. Is this correct? Segre yeah, but hold on a minute. There were naked, naked people. There were two wells where men could bathe naked and women could bathe naked. For, for the, the health. Distance, for the distance between the two, Nessa, was the distance between you and me <laughs> sitting here now. Now, Shocking. If, if you don't regard that as being quite radical, progressive, I don't, I don't know. I but think that's that was very progressive. I mean, that was the case in Strill, and they were ancient, ancient wells long before the medieval little corbelled huts yeah. were built. Yeah. But again, Strill wells were the first, the first poems that I had published in the Irish press were about Strill wells. There you go. There you go. About eighteen years ago, you and I worked on a project called art.ie, which was a website promoting arts events on the island of Ireland. And you were working for the Arts Council of Northern Ireland and I was working for the Arts Council on Corley Aileen. I didn't have the stamina to keep up and left a couple of years later. You're still working with the Arts Council of Northern Ireland. How do you sustain your own practice in such a busy, stressful world you know how how do you make that headspace for your own writing well when that started nasa uh i was in pr as you uh, you know as you were and that's when i first joined the arts council of northern ireland and uh that was 95 actually when i started there and that was a different a different world again then yeah um but i was very fortunate at that time that we were able to host for instance um seamus heaney just after he came back from you know, after he'd won the Nobel no, Prize. Yeah. These were great, those were great things. I met R.S. Thomas <laughs> on his one and only visit to Ireland yeah. at that stage. Yeah. But what sustained it was that after five or six years as in PR, I was um, appointed um, the literature officer. Yeah. And that has been uh, the case since. And uh, how do I... I, I, and it coincided really with the period when I started to publish mm. uh, in book form. Mm. So it hasn't really, I mean, you know, I can't say that it's impeded my own creativity in that way at all. Um, I've always been very careful to separate the two yeah. activities. But are um, you able to write on the go myself. or do you oh have yeah, to? Yeah, yeah, I do that now. So yeah. like the back of a, an envelope? Yeah, I've always, I mean, I've always done that. I mean, you just have to. I mean, it's one of the things that you have to do yeah. as a human alive in the 21st century is that you just write when you have the chance yeah. and when you have the time. 
and that's a skill I think that needs to be cultivated as well yeah. and that's something I would pay you, you know would pass on to others yeah. but the other great asset is I get to meet young writers and I mean I was just thinking over the weekend this now is 2018 well somewhere in Ireland right now somebody is doing their um, or has just done their their yeah. final exams yeah. or is in some other area of, of working life um, who is the first great writer of the 21st century somewhere yeah and maybe in a few years that person will I'll get to meet that person yeah. at an early stage of their well like you couldn't get better than that yeah you learn from young people yeah and young writers yeah it's a very generous attitude very generous attitude I have to say what's coming next do you think another book you've just published is there more to write about Dan Patrick is there Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, this is just, I, I think, is finished. <laughs> it's hard to let go yeah. of uh, a book. I mean, there are seventy poems in this book, and there was quite a construction around them. So, I'm still not sure that it's it's gone yeah. from me. Yet, yeah, you know. But yeah. what will happen is I'll I'll settle down in a few months, and I'll write. I'll I'll just keep writing. Yeah. Um, I have a few essays that you know that I want to do on various influences that I've had. One of them actually is uh, oddly, completely oddly in all this year, is Edith Sitwell, oh. which is uh, uh, you yeah. know, an odd. Yeah. Um, but that other strain, which is that you, you know that you find, which is that the poet, as well as being one of the, one of the people, can also be the strange, exotic, um, avian mm. character, mm. Strange, strange birds mm. spotted around the house, mm. as Hewitt would say. Mm. And I think that's something as well that uh, certainly has appealed to me. Mm. And Edith Settle would be one of those. Mm. You know, he was also very fond of the long, the long lines, and mm -hmm. you know, and, and convoluted syntax. So, so there's there's lots of things to do as long yeah. as I'm spared. Well, we are delighted that you spared the time to come here, um, and in such gorgeous surroundings as the River Mill. But great to get a chance to talk to you, finally, about your own work. Um, and uh, hear some of your poems. So thank you so much for coming along. Thank you, Ines. It's been a pleasure. And thank you very much for watching. Um, we'll be back again shortly. No idea what we're going to be talking to you about, but we will be back. Thanks a lot. Yes, I know that I'm just a dreamer. Yes, I know that I'm just a dreamer I dream Cause it's the closest I'll ever get to